Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we watched Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Dream-haunting Freddy Krueger returns once again to prowl the nightmares of Springwood's last surviving teenager, and of a woman whose personal connection to Krueger may mean his doom. I mean, it's the last one. Like, it's it's the end. It's our final nightmare. Oh, Diana, stop it. I know. <laughs> you know that's not true. I know. However, two things here. Two things. Yeah. Okay. One, I understand why this was quite possibly the final movie. Yes. And number two, holy shit, what a bonkers roller coaster ride of a movie this was. Like... This one was so hard to watch because it's like, this is boring, this is boring. Interesting things happen. Boring, boring. Oh my god, that's cool. Uh, oh, what? Oh, ooh, uh, oh, it's over now. <laughs> it was it was like one of those, it's a roller coaster, but it's one of those little ones that just like, it, that it's a little, it moves fast and you've got a couple twists and turns and then like just randomly there'll be like this big drop. Mm-hmm. And then it's over. And you're like, oh, okay, that was that was all right. <laughs> you're like, I un- I don't want to do this again, but I understand why people do it. That was this movie. I don't believe that there were editors for this movie. I'm sure there are some that are credited. Nah, I didn't look those people. Up. I don't think they did anything. <laughs> it's very possible. Very possible. This movie's so off the rails, but. In a way that you remember, we we talked about four, mm-hmm. and we talked about how god awful it was because they wouldn't get to the fucking point. Mm-hmm. In this one, oh, they got to the point. It's yes. just they did it in the most ridiculous fucking way possible, and it did the thing of we know this is a bad movie, yeah. but we're gonna throw all sorts of crazy shit at you <laughs> to let you know. Yeah, we know it's not good. But we don't fucking care. I mean, that's a horror film. I'll <laughs> I'll fucking take it, man. Yeah. Uh, so the budget for this was eleven million dollars, and it grossed thirty-five million dollars, which is not bad. Like you double, you tripled your money. It feels like it has more money in it. Special effects are really well done. They're much cleaner than we've seen before, and some of that is that like we've we've got a little bit more technology. This is 91, so it's not like groundbreaking technology, but they've just finessed some things. But they've kept the practicals enough to where it's just that it's shot better. True. The whole thing is shot a lot better and looks a lot cleaner than the other movies. It's just well, that... Th- there's a reason for that. Uh-huh. This was New Line Cinema's first film in 3D. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> so, yeah, so in order to do 3D, you have to film it very clean. Like, it's got to look good. Yes, because otherwise it will, the motion will fuck up and make everything look terrible. Mm-hmm. But also, that explains so much of the ridiculous bonker shit that keeps going on that explains, has, has zero explanation. <laughs> well, this was the highest opening weekend for the series until the release of Freddy vs. Jason. Yeah? Yeah. You throw a gimmick in and of course you would. Of course. Yeah, so I mean, we've we've talked about how we feel about this movie. It was such a weird ride. So let's just get right into our writing, where we love to start. Uh, Wes Craven, as our characters, as usual. Rachel Talalay, who we've talked about a couple times. She gets story credit. She's not a writer. She's actually our director for this film. 
And she actually is someone who worked up through production on the entire Freddy series. So that's kind of cool. But our main screenplay credit goes to Michael DeLuca. Before this, he was writing on Freddy Nightmares, the kind of TV miniseries that was going on. And after this, he did In the Mouth of Madness, Judge Dredd. He was an executive producer. And then he went on to be the executive producer for Boogie Nights, Magnolia, and Hedwig, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Which the New Line Cinema connection there is not lost on me either. No. Because. Yeah, no. Like, those are serious films. They're like, like, no slouch there. Even in the horror genre of jumping over to one of John Carpenter's best regarded movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what do, we, what do we think about the writing? Well, the dialogue, shit. <laughs> the dialogue is so fucking bad. It, but it's so bad. It's also bad in the way that even the classic ones were bad. It's not bad to the extent of being boring. It's just bad in the classic slasher movie bad dialogue. I feel like it's a little worse than that. It's not. There are some expo moments for sure. but like, There's always got to be an expo moment. But also, they're rushing this movie. Like, they are cranking it through in an hour and a half. Well, that's something that I was like, I feel like this this movie was made for television because you can feel where the commercials go, but there are no commercials. Yeah. Because <laughs> they just cut directly to the next thing. You're like, wait, I need it. We need it. There's a scene missing. Something happened here. It's so bizarre. Well, again, to me, that's the editing. Mm. True. It's not the Maybe. story. It's the fact that there are jarring tonal shifts and random cuts that look clean, but mm-hmm. make no fucking thematic sense. Mm-hmm. And that has that has little to do with the script because the mm-hmm. story continues on its normal plot. It's just that whoever was in that booth did not put the moments together to flow correctly. Mm-hmm. There are elements that are pretty cool. Like the dream mm-hmm. demon part of it is really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Not in the sense of it was going to be useful in this movie. But in the sense of like, okay, that's a neat idea for how to expand upon what Freddy represents. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, okay, we've already gotten past the the serial killer part. And this helps answer, how the hell is he still around? (laughs) It's a good trick for how to continue on the franchise if you want to. Mm -hmm. That's where I, I was like, okay, that's a neat way to explain why he's back after we've supposedly killed him. For real, for real, a couple of times. Well, we've got some who could have been better. I'm not Chuck. Uh, we've we've actually got two writers who wrote different scripts for this. Oh, um, oh all right. The, the first one is by Michael Almereda. Um, he's done a lot of short films, and he's directed a few. The most recent one that he did was uh, the film Tesla, which came out in 2020. So he, he wrote a draft, and in his draft... The son, the 16-year-old son that was born of Alice Johnson in the previous film, Dream Child, was the major character. And Alice was going to be in her 30s. She was killed by Freddie. And then Taryn, Joey, and Kincaid from Dream Warriors would return as the dream police. But they died. I know. I know. But like, Taryn was going to be the blade cop. Joey was the sound cop. And Kincaid was the power cop. That's Freddie Power Rangers. <laughs> yeah. Basically, also another script written where it was going to be Freddy aging and growing weak within the dream world. And so 
the teens of Springwood would have been having like drug fueled slumber parties for kicks and they would enter the dream world to beat him up, which is honestly such a cool concept. It is, but then where do you make the turn? Because well, well, so the great thing about forever can't be weak forever, but that's a great entry point. Was like let's kind of restart the timeline, get new kids who have grown up with this legend, like fucking around in the dream world, and then also you can bring back those characters. Like it, there, there's a there's a there's a way to do that. But this version was written by Peter Jackson. Yeah, that makes sense. That Peter Jackson. Well, people forget Peter Jackson was a, his original breakthrough was one of the goriest, most controversial horror movies ever made. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they decided they didn't want to use it. They didn't want Freddy to be like aging and they didn't want to do that, which I understand, but it wouldn't have been a bad entry point to like reboot a character. But director Rachel Talley was like, nope, don't like this. Don't like the script by Michael Almereta. She brought in uh deluca michael deluca and was like oh he saved the day and deluca was actually surprised that he wasn't brought in in the first place because he did last minute rewrites on the last film dream child which had a really good storyline it did have a great storyline dialogue was also crap it's the dialogue has never been good in the series it just hasn't mm-hmm. we've had actors who could polish it i okay dream but it's never Warriors? been good Dream Warriors had the best polishing because it was cheesy and stupid, but they sold it. So I'm fine with it. Well, yeah, it comes down to the actors on these. Like the dialogue has never been good, ever. Mm -hmm. We've talked about the writing. Let's talk about our director. Again, it's Rachel Talalay. This is their first directing anything. After this, they did Ghost in the Machine, Tank Girl. They've done a bajillion episodes of television. Basically, there's some. they worked with the CW a lot. They did four episodes of Riverdale and one episode of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina and also did seven episodes of Doctor Who. <laughs> Which, if you've been to the Riverdale journey with us, if you were on The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina journey with us at all, she clearly works well with the weird. That is her lane. That's clearly what she does. What do we think of the directing? It is something. It occurred. Well, uh, I wouldn't go that. F- I, I I wouldn't go that deep in the bad zone. I it's she's doing the the thing we love, which is swinging for the fucking fences. Look, you can't say she's a bad director because those special effects sequences are so well shot. They really are, and to also have your first at bat be a three D film. That is such a mountain to be climbing. So I, you, I cannot call this a directing debut failure. Cannot. Just, it's not possible. At no point during this movie was I watching it going, oh, God, this movie. No, instead I was like, what the fuck is happening? Mm-hmm. That to me is never a sign of a bad director. Yeah. That's a sign of flawed execution. And that usually comes from a group effort slash, as I will continue to harp, the editing is a massive problem in this movie mm-hmm. because everything made sense until we had to cut from point to point. Mm-hmm. And like, we'll even talk about it with the actors. I have a hard time blaming any of the actors for being terrible because I don't know what shots they were giving at any given moment. Fair. Like this feel you're right on the TV front. And like, this feels so hacked together probably because they didn't have very much time. And so it was like, okay, we got to get the shot and we got to keep moving. 
And the problem, the only problem is, is like, I don't know where they were, what the point was, what, what performance it was, but within scenes, there are cuts where the acting dramatically shifts in a direction. And that's mm-hmm. totally because of the way it's cut. Oh yeah. It has nothing to do with the directing, the writing, anybody else involved. So Rachel Talalay is the only woman to direct a Nightmare on Elm Street film. Hell yeah. It was pretty cool. Again, she started as the crew in the beginning and she worked her way up through production. That's awesome. That's very cool. She also got super sick towards the end of the filming schedule. Actually so bad that she could not work and they could not delay the production to wait for her to get better. So apparently Aaron Warner, the producer, directed the last several hours of filming on the movie, including the final scene between Freddie and John Doe. Again, Aaron Warner is the producer on this. He's actually produced a ton of films, um, including all of the Shrek films. All right. So like, all right, that's cool. Interesting. Uh, you know, it's it's just it's just a rushed production. Mm-hmm. Everything's very slapdash on this movie so that it looks really cool. There's lots of cool shit going on, but none of it makes a lot of sense together. And that's not mm-hmm. the fault of Rachel Talalay, who who clearly had a vision. It's almost like she the last movie was a lot slower intentionally and a lot more mm-hmm. creepy. And they instead went, nope, turbo vibes, turbo Freddy vibes, all the slasher all the time. Let's fucking go. And boy, did they go for it. Oh, yeah. Well, let's get to what is always the most interesting part of these films. And that's the cast. Of course, we're starting with Robert England as Freddy Krueger. What do we think of Robert England? Is this the movie where he kind of puts it all together? No, I think he is clearly having fun with the 3D aspect. Yeah, that's fair. You can tell that when he, that's what they're performing. I kind of wish I knew that going after as I was watching it. That probably would have helped me understand things better. <laughs> I didn't realize that when we were watching it, but I could I I could feel like it's like you could feel it like when you watch a weird old episode of television from the 90s you're like oh this is one of those like tgi friday 3d nights <laughs> and yeah. like, you just see like they're doing too much at the camera and i was like that's how this feels but he's having so much fun with it yes he is clearly enjoying himself i can't be mad no next we have sean greenblatt as john doe not done a ton before this they were in chopper chicks and zombie town just perfect tv movie uh one episode of hardball after this, they were in Newsies as Oscar Delaney, Time Lock, Bartender, and Luster. What do we think of Sean Greenblatt? He's there. He is present and saying his lines. He's very dull. Next actor. Not really, though. Yeah. I So, like, for this role, this role does not need to be something super, doesn't need to be anybody super captivating. And they don't need to, like, blow us out of the water. But they do need to be able to emote. And this guy is just like early 90s confused teen. TM. <laughs> That's it. Could we get a Jonathan Brandis in this role, please? That would have been a better vibe. Wouldn't overshadow. Mm. Like, I don't need River fucking Phoenix here, okay? Yeah. I don't need a full-on movie star, but I need no. somebody who can just stand and and give me something. I need somebody who, when they're doing supposedly nothing, they are still interesting to watch. And he is not. He is not. Next, we have Lisa Zane as Maggie Burroughs. She's arguably our actual, like, lead of this film. I know it's presented like John Doe is, but it's really Maggie. It's, it's a red herring. 
for sure. Which I which I do I do love that. Yeah. She is the sister of Billy Zane. Before this, she was in the Heart of Dixie and Bad Influence. After this, she was in LA Law, ER, Monkey Bone, Dinotopia, and Biker Mice from Mars. That's some classic Saturday morning cartoons right there. Yeah. So what do we think of Lisa Zane? Okay, this is the main actor who got fucked over by the editing. Absolutely, because she has some really cool setup scenes, and then we just cut, and you're like, but wait, 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 we were doing something. We were doing something. It was good. The cuts will wipe her momentum in five seconds. And there's the and and so the entire movie, you're sitting there, and and it took me a while once I figured out that was what was going on to be like, does she just not know what scene she's in at any given moment? It's like, no, she does. She can act. Mm-hmm. It's just that no, they got she got so screwed over by how they would cut the scenes and the takes and like throw an ADR to fix something that would just be completely offline of where she was at emotionally. Well, and the worst time it happened was when she's playing the young version of herself. Like that is such a cool scene in what they're doing. And then they just have these weird cuts. We're like, no, this this was good. Yeah. Yeah, she, She really got fucked. You can tell it's like, okay, I don't know. She's about comparable with her brother in terms of acting skill. Sure. Billy Zane was always mostly a pretty face, but with enough chops to get by. And that's kind of how I feel about her. Okay. That's perfectly fine. It serves this movie very well. It's just, there is no way to competently talk about her performance in this film because the editors fucked it up so bad. All right. So now we move on to our puns because nobody else is featured enough for us to care. Random people of note. We've got Leslie Dean as Tracy. Uh, She was in an episode of Freddy's Nightmares. This movie led her to uncover some repressed memories of some past trauma. Oh, God. I mean, that's sad, but yay therapy, I guess. Oh, man. That's... Okay, look. Uncovering repressed memories is a good thing in a safe environment. Mm -hmm. In filming a horror movie? I don't know. I mean... That seems like it could be one of the worst times. Maybe. Um, When... Freddie punches Tracy in the face during their fight. Robert England actually punched her in the face. Oh, God. She was in 976 Evil, the film that Robert England directed. So they knew each other. Okay. And even though she plays a teenager, she was 26 at the time this movie was filmed. That's the 90s. (laughs) Yep. Ricky Dean Logan as Carlos. He was actually originally cast as John Doe. But the role of Carlos spoke to him more, so he lobbied for it, and then they they gave it to him, and they brought in Sean Greenblatt. Car- Carlos is way more interesting. Yeah, that's why he clearly wanted to play him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Huh. To- totally get it. Maybe we should have written John Doe better. What do you think? Yeah, that would have been good. Next, we have one of my most favorite people ever on television or film. It's Brecken Meyer as Spencer. This is their theatrical debut. And uh, he, we've talked about him before. He was in Clueless, Can't Hardly Wait, and Josie and the Pussycat. He is both a regular and Arpon legend of this show. Yeah, he's a background in a lot of things. He's also just fun. I love Brecken Meyer. He's good in this. He's doing a good job. He's playing confused team in Crisis. And Stoner. Also that. But not comic stoner, like realistic stoner. Mm -hmm. 
which is very weird for a movie from 1991. <laughs> I, I mean, think about it, right? Like, Dazed and Confused was going to come out the next year and set the super stoner vibes for like the next decade and a half. Oh, that completely clear. This was 91. Clueless was 94. This film got him clueless. Yeah. But the weird part about it is, right, is that that would be the sort of comic template. And in this one, it's it's more I smoke so I don't have to think about all the horrible things in my life, which is like, damn, that is not something we do in most movies. I mean, to be fair, that's why a lot of people smoke. I know. I'm just saying that not common in Hollywood. Interesting take. Next, we have Yafet Koto as Doc. Uh, this is Mr. Big from Live and Let Die. <sighs> Such a great actor. This movie, I, I am setting aside this movie for the moment of the bondness of God, what a waste of such a great actor. Absolutely. In such a racist role. But he does Absolutely. a great job in that movie. And he does a very good job here, especially in a role where he is merely there to give exposition. Mm-hmm. Next, we have Tom Arnold and Roseanne Barr as childless man and childless woman. This is just beginning to rise to stardom Tom Arnold and very much in her prime Roseanne. Oh, yes. The, the Roseanne show is already on. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows who she is. Leslie Dean, who played Tracy, said in an interview that working with them was awesome and that they were the nicest down to earth people and that she actually saw them on the phone trying to help an abused girl get out of a horrible situation. Yeah. Look, by all accounts, both of them up until recently, <laughs> Tom's always been weird, but like he was a stand up comic in the 80s. He did a lot mm-hmm. of drugs. But has always been a pretty decent guy. And Roseanne, Roseanne just went off the deep end. But she's all back in her prime. Yeah, she was just an awesome person. Roseanne's thing was always being very in touch with the working class. That's why Roseanne (laughs) resonated with so many people. She has been rich for too long. A lot happened. Yeah, like that's what I genuinely believed happened. (laughs) A lot (laughs) happened. Next, we have Eleanor Donahue as Orphanage Woman. They were in Fathers Know Best, The Princess Diaries 2, and was Bridget, the counter lady at the Beverly Wilshire and Pretty Woman. Hmm. It's a Gary Marshall special. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Next, we have Johnny Depp as Guy on TV. Of course, he was Glenn in the 1984 original, this, um, which was his debut. Next, we have Robert Shea as the ticket seller. He's our longtime producer. He's in everything. I'm... Beginning to be less angry at him. Ugh. He fucked over too. He fucked it over. He did super fuck over too. But you know what? He kept he kept the Freddy movies coming. So I'm I'm easing off the throttle. And last we have Alice Cooper as Freddy's father. Dying a fire. Yeah. But he did say that he, people asked him to be movies be in movies all the time, but they wanted him to be in his onstage persona. He agreed to this one because he got he he liked the series, but he got to be a character. He didn't have to be Alice Cooper. I mean, but he was Alice Cooper. I know, like, but he didn't. Ha- but like when you get hired to be in a movie, it sometimes it's nice to get to be someone different. I have no sympathy for this man. No, not he's at a all. Garbage human. All right, it's time for trivia. Trivia. All right, this is the first film in the series not to include the little girls jumping rope singing Freddie's rhyme. They, when did they have time? <laughs> Seriously. They shoved through so much shit. It was like, when would they have time to add it? 
uh, September 12th, 1991, the day before the U.S. release of the movie in Los Angeles was declared Freddy Krueger Day. Okay. Which feels really weird now. When shown theatrically, audience members were given a pair of red cardboard 3D glasses with the movie tagline printed on it. The inside arms had adhesives for attaching like the actual glasses and then advertisement for House Party 2 was printed on one of the arms. 1991, y'all. Mm-hmm. In the last portion of the movie, from the point at which Maggie puts on her special glasses to the point which she takes them off, that was all supposed to be 3D. The effect was removed for home videos, but the UK version kept the 3D effect and included five pairs of the 3D glasses inside the box. Well, this was also back when a VHS tape would run you about 40 bucks in 1991 yeah. money. That's still very cool. But god damn it i should have known i should have known the second they gave her the 3d glasses what Mm -hmm. the fuck was i thinking Mm -hmm. god damn it this is i love the note on this one executive meddling this is an after the fact thing when the movie was released in 91 it ran for 100 minutes um, it featured a lot of the character moments of introductions. You know, Maggie's foster mother doesn't just randomly show up near the end of the movie. But for some reason, New Line cut the movie down to 88 minutes for home release. And that's all that's been available. Oh, fuck off. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The only version that has any, even a little bit of this is the German version, which is cut, but it's not cut down quite to 88 minutes. So weird. So weird. It's well, it's literally a money play. It's so they can they can add one or two extra screenings a night. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's all it comes down to. Yeah, because if it's at a hundred minutes, you can have a showing start every two hours. And and Jesus fucking Christ! I mean, I, well, let's I, be honest. That's a big reason why like filmmakers were told not to go over two hours. Yeah, I I get yeah. it. I I get. Look, I get the principle of it. I think my problem is. We're finding different ways to fuck over the industry now and creative people, especially because they've found much easier ways to cut out profits and mm-hmm. paying creators for their work. Yeah. It's the same thing all over again. It just boils down to that. Once again, you look at it and you go, you could have only left in 15 minutes worth of script, but instead just to add to your profit margin a tiny little bit, you made a movie that makes no coherent sense. Mm-hmm. That's what I don't get. And what nobody who has ever created anything gets. The flip side is, is that number go up. So why not? <laughs> In the extended interviews for Never Sleep Again, the Elm Street Legacy documentary, Lisa Zane revealed that she wrote and performed a James Bond-esque end credits ballad, uh, similar to Tuesday night's opening nightmare for part four. Um, this one was called The Worst is Over. But it went unused. Thank God. We don't know. It could be the next Mighty Thunderbolt. No, Diana. No, no. I do not need to hear that. She could have an amazing singing voice. She probably could. Don't need it. Does not fit this movie. So when John Doe dies, his identity is never discovered. So it's never, you know, the audience doesn't know. So a lot of times it's been speculated that he is Alice's son, Jacob Johnson. Um, it calls from the original script idea. And like, and while like the timeline isn't exact, um, one of the things that people point to as being more evidence of this is that he can enter Spencer's dream 
which was an ability that he might have inherited from his mother, Alice. Mm -hmm. I don't hate that. I don't, but it doesn't make, it, it makes zero timeline sense. Yeah, but we love to play fast and loose with those things. Unless we're going to firmly establish her in the future. Yeah. Uh, when Maggie goes to speak with her mother, she enters the house, screams mother, and slams the door behind her. This is exactly the same as when Nancy comes home to see her mother has placed bars over all the windows in their house in Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm -hmm. The video game system that Freddy Krueger plays is similar to an NES, which featured a Nightmare on Elm Street video game. Okay. Legitimately one of the goofiest, most fun sequences mm -hmm. in this entire franchise. Yep. The effects were real stupid. Robert England making gleeful play faces playing the video game? Incredible. Yeah, him saying now I'm playing with power. <laughs> the nod to the power glove, which was the dumbest and ama most amazing thing ever, mm -hmm. was just, it tickled my 90s child heart. It just did. It brought me so much joy. So stupid in the best way. During Tracy's dream sequence, the band... Sepultura's name can be seen scrawled underneath the mirror as she leans down to wash her face. Fucking rad metal band, y'all. Yeah. And Cavalier Conspiracies is redoing some of the albums right now. So when Maggie and John are in the school looking through newspaper clippings, one is titled Four Dead in Ohio. This is a reference to the Crosby Stills and Nash song, Ohio. Mm -hmm. um, the film was released in 91, but is set in 1994. Okay. That still doesn't quite work with John Doe. I'm just trying to think through the timeline of it. I genuinely don't care. <sighs> when John and Maggie check out the Springwood after learning that Kruger had a child that was removed from his custody and placed there, the woman who runs the orphanage recognizes Maggie, foreshadowing the revelation that she is, in fact, Kruger's daughter, Catherine. No. -uh. Hmm. This is the only film in the series in which Freddy doesn't kill anyone using his glove, although he gets killed with the glove himself. Interesting. And Robert England has said his favorite kill in any of the Nightmare on Elm Street films is Carlos' death here, which is very cool. Yeah. All right. So it brings us to ratings. Ratings. For every film, we have our own special rating system for this film. Gosh, I don't even know. I don't remember a lot from this movie, Diane. Vans. The van was a big character for this. I'm gonna go with Vans. <laughs> vans that go around in circles. Pretty much. Useless Vans. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna make you go first. What? I'm first on a lot of these, and I had never seen this, so. Balderdash. Poppycock. <sighs> you know what? I'm gonna go two and a half. Oh, okay. I was slower on it before, but I've talked myself into the middle of the road because, again, I was not bored. Okay. I knew I was not watching a good film, but <laughs> I was watching an entertaining film. Watching a film. And my expectations are low because I watch Nightmare on Elm Street for the Dream Master. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. No, um, I mean, it's... It, it, no, it is not good, but there... But the the problem of it being not good, as we have found out, was after the fact post-production crap. Mm -hmm. It has very little to do with the actual vision and execution of the film itself. And sure. despite the fact of the gimmick gimmicky nature of it, the stuff still works mm -hmm. in the setting it's in now. So I, it's it's a fun movie. It's two and a half. Uh, I, I'm I'm going to two because I was a little bored. 
but I mean, I, it's got so many good kernels. And like, I think if the actors had better meat, it, we could have gotten a little bit more. I think if we had, an, we had a director who maybe had a little more experience, they could have gotten a little more of those actors. But there's no denying, like, the special effects sequences, the action is well done. Um, so I'm definitely not mad about that. That's a two for me. And so that's it. We're done with the series. Great job. Great work, everybody. Oh, oh, wait. There's another one. Wait, what? Yeah. A couple years later, they decided to do um, this film called New Nightmare. Or, yeah. Oh. But this time, Wes Craven is back. <laughs> so it can't be all bad. This is the only one besides this, the generic premise of Freddy that I, I understood going in. I've talked about this a few times in, in other contexts, but I have seen a good chunk of New Nightmare. And I was very, very confused because I did not have any, <laughs> I had no context for that film. Uh, I, have a, I have a sneaking suspicion of why. Yes. So this will be an interesting experience now that I have all of this context for this movie. Let's see what Wes has for us. Let's let's see what he's got in store in his creepy little fucked up brain of his. All right. Well, until next time. Have a good movie. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Facebook.